Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Andrew over there, the guest producer. I'm wearing Adidas. Chuck is wearing Puma. Andrew's wearing Reebok. None of us are speaking to one another right now. Yeah, it's weird. Andrew is wearing uh, white Reebok high tops with mm-hmm. uh, bronze pantyhose and orange dolphin running shorts. <laughs> and, and he claims he doesn't work for Hooters part-time. Oh, 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 yes. <laughs> I like that you didn't know that because that means you don't go into Hooters. No, no, I've seen pictures on TV. <laughs> I had to go. The, actually, I've only been there once, and that was when I worked at that awful job mm-hmm. with the chicken killers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was on a stupid work trip they made me go on, and that was like the only place in town. Yep. And all these yokels that I worked with were like, yeah, man, let's go to Hooters. And uh, I went in there, and I was just like, oh, my Lord, what is – they were trapped in time. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been there a couple of times, actually, <laughs> when I was a younger younger man. It's the same, um, I imagine. It is, I'm sure. And uh, I was there on my 21st birthday in Jacksonville because it was the only place open. It was like a, a, a Tuesday night or something. And I was like, this is this is not the best 21st birthday I'll ever have. Yeah. And hey, we don't want to yuck your yum. If, you're, if you work at Hooters or if you love going there, more power to you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not, uh, right? That's pretty awesome <laughs> that you said uh, you don't want to yuck anyone's yum. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago when uh, it was like the Costanza moment when you thought of a line mm-hmm. after the moment Yeah, when you were talking about how I was crazy for not liking olives and I got on to you. I should have said, don't yum my yuck. Right. Or <laughs> I was just funny you said that because I was thinking about that later on, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought that I should have said, well, actually, I'm not yucking your yum. I'm yucking your yuck, which is different. Oh. Uh. You know, think about it. Man. Are you thinking about it? I think it's weird that we both thought about that moment afterward. I think so, too. Because usually we just go back into our hyperbolic chambers and (laughs) float for the next six days. It's pretty great life we have. Pretty nice. Just soaking in our own urine. (laughs) God. (laughs) Don't you pee in your hyperbaric chamber? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's how you're supposed to fill it up, right? Right. So, Chuck, obviously what we're talking about today is athletic gear, sports shoes in particular. And two of the most uh, well-known sports brands in the entire world, Adidas and Puma. And some people might not know this, Chuck, but Adidas and Puma were founded by two brothers who spent many decades of their lives not speaking to one another. And some people might even know that, that they are rival brands founded by rival brothers. But I guarantee they don't know the full story behind the, the one of the most bitter family rivalries of all time that gave us Adidas and Puma. And it is extraordinarily fascinating. There's, there's Nazis, there's Run DMC, there's all this stuff all rolled into one. And it turns out that this is, it's one of the better stories I've ever come across. That's right. And before we dive into that awesome story uh, to head off emails, mm-hmm. I know I said hyperbolic inside of hyperbaric. There's <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as a hyperbolic chamber. I no, guess it could be. It's a chamber that's like, I'm the biggest chamber <laughs> yeah, ever. Probably so. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's, this is a great story. And I had heard uh, bits and pieces of this over the years. 
But it is interesting that Nazis and Run DMC and Feuding Brothers all come together mm-hmm. to because you know my Pumas. I've I've been a Puma guy, sure, for many many years. Even though I I did have a pair of uh, Adidas uh, Superstars at one point, but they're too. Uh, uh, Flashy? I, no, I liked them, but they were, you know, white shoes aren't good on me. I get a, get them too dirty uh, too quick. Yeah. So but, now I just vary my pumas between the black and the uh, black suede uh-huh. and sort of like the olive green suede usually. Well, you know, Adidas makes non-white shoes you could try. Yeah, but those classic white superstars with the three blue stripes, those, uh, yep. those are the ones. The shell toes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have some other cool ones too. Like gazelles are pretty cool. Like the 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 flat bottom soccer shoe and yeah, um, my my brother was into. Uh, I wore gazelles for a while when I was a soccer poser. But my yeah. brother was into Stan Smiths. Oh yeah, those are cool too. Yeah. I've got some some Stan Smiths that are like this blue mesh. And now that I think about it, if I have a loyalty to either one, it would be Adidas. But I don't I don't consider myself like Adidas loyal. Well, I'm a Puma guy just because they look good on me and they're comfy. But I was also a uh, low-top Converse all-star guy for a while. Mm-hmm. And in high school, of course, in the preppy days, I was all about the tree torns. I never had tree torns. Uh, it, it was a look. Oh, I know, for sure. Um, I, I, Those I, were comfy. I, I was right after tree torns when I started getting the shoes K-Swiss were in. Oh, yeah. I never yeah. had any of those. Those are cool. Uh, and then what was the other shoe? The the uh, uh, Vans. Um, there's a particular style of Vans that I really still enjoy. The slip-on ones with the black and white checks? No, those are cool, but I don't know if I can pull those off at 47. You could, but people will laugh at you behind your back. Yeah, <laughs> that's already happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll remember at some point. Okay, well, just shout it out. And plus, I just wanted to cover our bases by saying as many name brands as possible. Don't forget British Knights. Oh, the BKs? Yep. Um, so, Chuck. Yes. Let, let's start the story, shall we? We're going to have to get in the way back machine for this one. Okay. <laughs> and this is also full of urine. So, uh, that was you, though. Let's, yeah. let's let everybody know. Um we're going to go back to the end of World War One in Germany, and we're going to go to a little town that I'm going to let you pronounce because I've been trying and I cannot do it. And I thought it was interesting that we're recording this now because we just uh, acknowledged and recognized the uh, 100 years removed from World War One. The end of World War One. Yeah. And the beginning of the Spanish flu that killed like three times as many people right after it. Yeah. That's another celebration. <laughs> right. So so we're going back there. We're just going back 100 days almost to the day. Yeah, and so the, the name of that town is uh, Herzogenerach. Uh, well, I could have done at least that good. Yeah, Herzogenerach. It's it's not exactly said that like that. Here, let's let's play this. Herzogenaurach. That's how it's said. <laughs> okay. Okay, so... So maybe we should just have that voice say it for us, but we're not going to. It turns out the locals just call the town Herzo, sure. so that's all we'll call it. But it's a little tiny village in Bavaria. They can't even pronounce it. No. They're like, we're not even going to try, and we were born here. Don't don't be too hard on yourself, Josh, is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Herzo, it's a little town in Bavaria, a little village. There's a river running through it. Yeah, and significantly. Yes, and in um, around 1918, one of the villagers who was born there, a guy named um, 
uh, Adolf Dassler takes a seat in his mother's laundry. His mother ran a laundry out of out of their house, and he starts cobbling athletic shoes, specifically track shoes, I think, to begin with. And he had a knack for it. Um, he started making shoes that athletes actually wanted pretty pretty early on, pretty much out of the gate. And he started doing so well, so quickly, that within a year or two, he asked his older brother, who is by far the more outgoing extrovert salesman type of the, of the two brothers, his older brother Rudolph, to start selling his shoes, start kind of creating a business operation out of it. And I think within just a few years, um, they had 12 employees, and they founded a company called Sportsfabrik. Gebruder Dassler, <laughs> which they call Geta for short. Yeah, so Gebruder is, uh, you know, for brother. So Gebruder Dassler is the Dassler Brothers shoe right. company. Um, yeah. And people were like, wow, so I don't have to wear my high-heeled leather sport boot any longer on the I, pitch? I, I don't have to tie some sharp rocks to the bottom <laughs> of my feet? Uh, so their nicknames, you'll probably hear us refer to them as uh, Adi and Rudy, mm-hmm. R-U-D-I. And uh, you'll, you'll if you kind of put your head to it, yeah. you can see where this is headed. This is exciting. <laughs> so uh, the laundry business wasn't going well. So like you said, little Adi started making these shoes, mm-hmm. and things started going great. Um, and it turns out they made a pretty good team at first because they complemented one another uh, in what they were in what they were good at. Mm-hmm. So Adi was creative. Uh, and he was the brains, and Rudy was a little more extroverted, and he was a really good salesperson. Right. So they they start to do a pretty good, pretty good business. Um, and it's it's if you're like, well, it's a weird thing to start doing as a a, a younger man to start making sports shoes. It turns out that Herzo is like a shoemaking town. It has a long tradition of shoemaking. And in 1922, for example, their population was 3,500, but they had 112 shoemakers. That's amazing. That's a high shoemaker to regular population ratio. So it's not the weirdest thing ever. But they're plodding along. They're making really high quality shoes. Like right out of the gate, um, Adi had a, a real, like, like I said, a talent for making high-quality athletic shoes. And one of the first things they made were a uh, track shoe that, that one of these articles says looks like a, um, a ballet slipper with some nails coming out of the front of it, the, the front bottom, the foresole. And it was, um, it just changed everything. It was a genuinely great track shoe. At the time, they, the um, people who were running, sprinters who were running track, they didn't have any traction when they were taking off. Yeah. This gave them traction and just gave them an immediate um, leg up over the the competition. And so the athletes, like, really, really liked the the shoes that they were putting out. And the company started to grow and grow and grow. And then I think the 1928 Olympics in Los Angeles is where they really debuted their shoes. And a German sprinter was wearing a pair of their track shoes. And all he won was a bronze medal, but he won a bronze medal— uh, wearing the Dassler Brothers shoes. And as a German sprinter. Exactly. <laughs> so that should say it all. It does. So he was wearing these track spikes, and this this helped. I mean, this got him a little bit of notoriety. But it was really in 1936 in Berlin mm-hmm. at that very, very famous Olympic Games where a young athlete named Jesse Owens dominated and literally tore up the track wearing those uh, Gebruder Dassler track spikes yeah. with Hitler in the stands 
And people are like, those shoes are amazing. And Jesse Owens was like, it's kind of me, but yeah, sure. The shoes are great. <laughs> but <laughs> right. I'm also a vastly superior athlete to the rest of these chumps out here. Yeah. So um, that was the Olympics that Jesse Owens famously finished in first place, won the gold, and did another lap around the track, went up into the stands and slapped Hitler right in the face. Oh, man. Slapped his little stash right off that lip. So um, the fact that Jesse Owens was wearing these shoes immediately brought international attention to Geta, the Gebruder um, Dossler company. Um, so they, I saw one article that said, had World War II not happened, this, this business would have just gone global immediately. And it yeah. started to. But then when World War II broke out, and that was the 1936 Olympics. I think I said the 1928 Olympics. It was, I think, the, the 1932 Olympics that I talked about first. But the 1936 Olympics, within just a couple of years, the um, Nazis invaded Poland and uh, were running Germany. And World War II kicked off in earnest. And the, the, the time for sports apparel kind of got derailed a little bit. Yeah, so um, just like in the United States and, and actually in countries all over the world, uh, the war effort was, uh, it's not like they were just like, all right, we have uh, a few companies that manufacture military uh, needs for our military, mm -hmm. and that's going to be good enough. It's like, no, we need to really co-opt kind of any manufacturing that we want to to go toward the war effort. And certainly Germany uh, did that along with the U.S. and, and kind of everyone else. Um, and everything from Hugo Boss to uh, Lufthansa to these little shoemakers in this small town in Bavaria. Yeah, they, their factories were co-opted for the war effort, basically. And what the uh, Dossler Brothers factory ended up making are something called the um, Panzerschreck which means the tank terror. <laughs> and it was modeled after the American bazooka, which was one of the first shoulder-mounted, recoilless rocket launchers that had enough power to punch right through a tank and blow up everybody inside. They were nasty little buggers, and the Panzerschreck was the German version of the bazooka, and the German version of the bazooka was created in the Dossler Brothers Shoe Factory. Yeah, it's uh, December 1943 is when they kind of made the full switch in these these little, you know, uh, German ladies mm -hmm. who were sewing shoes the week before were now manufacturing uh, German bazookas. Uh, the good news is by this time, because these things were really effective, actually, mm -hmm. and had they been um, had they been brought into the war sooner, things might have really changed. But uh, thankfully, by this time, uh, even though they were doing the job, it was too late. Uh, the tides had turned, and the Allies were were steaming toward victory. And even though they started pumping out these bazookas, it was sort of too little, too late. Yeah. Have you ever wondered about the name bazooka? Not until just now. Okay. Well, I did, <laughs> and I was like, "What does a bazooka mean?" Apparently, there was a an entertainer. I think he might have been vaudeville, kind of a country act. Okay. And he bazooka he, Joe. I can't remember his name. doesn't matter. He created a, a musical instrument out of brass called a bazooka. Mm. And um, it was kind of like a trumpet and a trombone together. It was a weird little instrument. But he was popular enough that, and the bazooka looked like his instrument enough that it became called the bazooka, this, this shoulder-mounted rocket launcher. Interesting. I thought so, too. Sure, why not? But the point is, is that 
all of a sudden, the Germans, who had been totally helpless against the American tank divisions, were messing the American tank divisions up. And the source of their, their power was the Dossler Brothers Shoe Factory. Uh, and you mentioned their, their seamstresses welding uh, bazookas together. Yeah. They're also in their factory, there was forced labor of French POWs. Sure. So they had slaves and seamstresses working together to create bazookas to take out the American tank divisions or the Allied tank divisions, thanks to the companies that would eventually become Adidas and Puma. All right. That's a great setup. Thank you. uh, That's only part one into what is a very interesting story. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a little break, and we'll come back and talk about – what went wrong with these two brothers right after this? All right, so we're gonna we gotta go back in time a little bit. Because we, we sped right up to World War II. It was just too interesting to, to wait <laughs> to talk about any longer. But we need to go back to about 1933 because uh, these brothers ended up uh, fracturing in a big, big way. Um, mm-hmm. And there have been, you know, some legendary sibling rivalries through the years. But this is this is really one of the greats. Uh, and I, I believe even Rudy wrote uh, as an older man, the, the relation to my brother was ideal. From 1924 till 1933, then his young wife tried to interfere with business matters, <laughs> although she, with her 16 years, had no experience at all, and the warfare began. Yeah. So here's how the story goes. Is that in 1933, Adi was uh, indeed married to a 16-year-old, which seems very creepy now, but back then it was uh, uh, not the strangest thing in the world. Slightly less creepy. Slightly less creepy. Well, they just, it was a different time. Okay. So he was married to a 16-year-old and uh, tried to get involved in the business. Rudy was not uh, happy about this. Mm-hmm. And they all lived together. The two brothers and their wives all lived together in the same townhouse. Yeah. Which is not a great recipe for success anyway. Right. You know, you need to have your own place. So you can imagine that all the little bickering and snide remarks and just all the stuff that if you have two couples that don't really, really, really like and love each other, um, living together will will accumulate. If you translate that to a business relationship, it's going to be hard on the business, and it was. For sure. So there was apparently a um, a series of just little things like that, but the as far as the family legend goes, the real break happened during World War II when the Allies were bombing the... the um, the village of Herzo, and the uh, Rudy and his wife made it made their way to the um, the bunker, mm-hmm. the bomb shelter, and shortly after that, Adi and his wife, I think her name was Kata, um, they made their way into the bomb shelter. And when they entered, he said, "Oh, well, it looks like the bastards are here again." And Adi apparently went to his grave saying that he was referring to the <laughs> Allied bombers, but Rudy took it that. Adi oh, was talking about Rudy and his wife. Yeah. And apparently that was the final straw. Yeah, this was true evidence that things were really bad. Mm-hmm. If something as simple possibly as just a little misunderstanding of whether or not the bastards were the, the allies bombing or you, my brother and my sister-in-law. Right. 
So, th- I mean, things were things were pretty bad if this is what did it. Right. So that that's World War II still going on. And at some point, Rudy gets called to go fight for the Nazis. He gets drafted. Mm-hmm. So Rudy has to go to war. And the whole time he's away, he's he's so this rift has already happened. So he's suspecting one that his brother and uh, his brother's wife plotted to get him drafted. And he can't get that that idea out of his head. So much so that apparently multiple times he deserted his post yeah. to go home to make sure that he wasn't being ousted <laughs> from the, the business he'd built with his brother. Um, and then he gets arrested for desertion. And he's sure that his little brother ratted him out for desertion. Which he may have. And so he's arrested. He's held for a while. And as he's making his way back after the war to Herzo, he gets picked up by the Allies for under suspicion of being a Gestapo agent. Yeah. He's sure again that it's his little brother, Adi, who got him this time landed in a POW camp that he stays in for a little while. And it turns out he was right. There is documentary evidence from an American officer who took the um, accusation down. And apparently it was Adi who went to the Americans and said, my brother is a Gestapo agent. You may want to arrest him. <laughs> what so a jerk. This is the level of stuff these brothers are doing to one another. Um, and the the rift just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's one other thing we have to say, because uh, the wife, the younger wife, the 16-year-old Kata, um, gets historically blamed for creating this rift, I think in a lot of ways unfairly. Sure. She's also the one who saved the family business single-handedly. Yeah, so in April 1945, uh, the Americans uh, march into Herzo. Those tanks pull up in front of that factory. Mm-hmm. And the soldiers, the American soldiers, are out there like kind of going over what they should do. Should we destroy this building or not? This is the place where the Panzerschrecks were made. Yeah, so Adi's wife, uh, Kata, comes out, and she basically walks right up to these uh, enemy soldiers and says, we only want to make shoes. <laughs> we only desire to make shoes. And they're like, why are you talking like Colonel Clink? <laughs> and she said, we all do. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's basically like she convinced them to spare the factory. They did so. And not only that, the Air, uh, the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force set up operations there at their air base and realized that they really liked these shoes. Well, they found out that this was the company that made Jesse Owens' famous track shoes. Yeah, and so they went off the charts. They started getting these huge orders mm-hmm. for sports teams, American sports teams, because of this. So this is all going on, um, or it's all starting while Rudy's off in a POW camp because his brother ratted him out. And the business all of a sudden is starting to turn international. Like 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 you said, people around the world are, are taking notice of this thanks to the American GIs who are coming back with this um, Geta sportswear. Um, and when when Rudy comes back, it's done. His brothers ratted him out. There was the whole thing in the bomb shelter, and the brothers split the company that they built together. They split uh, Gebruder Dessler and or Dossler, and they go off and found their own companies. Yeah, fifteen years after that. Uh, bunker incident. Yep. So, so it was. It took a long time to finally boil over. Right. And in between, there was another war. They were not good Nazis, we should point out. Uh, kind of, you know, they were members of the Nazi party, and Rudy did get drafted. But like he said, he deserted his post a lot. And, it, it, they, you know, they really did just want to sell shoes. Right. He's like Dwight Schrute's uncle. 
<laughs> or grandfather who spent a lot of the war in a, a allied POW camp. That's right. So, like you said, they split up the company, and we mentioned earlier that this river ran through the center of town, and I said, significant. Mm-hmm. And it is significant because it literally divided the town, and they set up their business. It's not like one of them said, well, I'm going off to Berlin. Right. They just set up camp on opposite sides of that river. Uh, Adi Dossler said, I will name my company Adidas. Actually, at first, they named it Adas. Well, yeah, but everyone said that stinks. Well, no, that that was a different one. That one, there was a children's footwear line already called Adas. So he added the I and turned it into Adidas. Yeah, Rudy went with Ruda. And everyone said that no one's going to buy shoes named Ruda, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the United States. And he said, I don't understand. <laughs> and they said, don't worry about it. So somehow he got Puma out of Ruda. Right. Which I don't get, but it's a name that stuck. Yeah, and it works. Puma's definitely better than Ruda for sure. Oh, yeah. So these two go off and form directly competing companies that split from the same company that the brothers had founded together. And Adidas and Puma started making pretty good headway out of the gate. At first, um, Rudy had the sales team, had the marketing team, had the uh, the ability to, to move some product. But Adi had the technical know-how, the dedication to making high-quality footwear that athletes, like professional athletes, wanted to wear. And so he could get his shoes onto athletes who would wear them on the world stage. And eventually his, his I guess, his tack won out over his brothers. And and from from a very early stage on, Adidas has always led Puma, at least as far as, like, sales revenue goes. Yeah, and, you know, there were mistakes from both of them along the way business-wise. Um, one of the big ones for Puma early on was that Rudolph got into a spat with the coach of the, the German national soccer team. Uh, and, of course, all that did was open the door for his brother, and uh, Adidas to go in there and say, what about these shoes? Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what happened. And so at the 1954 World Cup, Germany wears uh, Adidas uh, with those signature stripes. And even though they were not favored uh, at all, West Germany actually won against uh, who Hungary, I believe. Yes. And that was a huge, huge deal on a national, international stage. It was like the miracle on ice on grass. (laughs) You mean they were stoned? They were all stoned out of their gourds. <laughs> the miracle on ice on grass. That, yep. that might have legs, my friend. I think it might, too. That's you need a to trademark that. <laughs> well, I do officially right now. Trademarked. I love it. So uh, that was one mistake. Um, Adidas would, of course, go on to make some mistakes later. Um, I know that, that you sent that one article where they talked about how um, – they said, you know, at one point that, like, yogging, no one's going to do that, so we're not sure. going to make yogging shoes. Right. And aerobics, that's uh, that's a flash in the pan. Sure. Who cares about physical fitness? And so you mentioned Reebok earlier. It's hard for the young folk out there who are listening to, to know this, but there was a time when Reebok was the name in sports apparel. Well, plus, all, yeah, and, and Reebok, uh, this article says that they lost their way at some point, but the way that Reebok kind of took the lead for a little while was saying, no, we'll get into jogging, we'll get into aerobics, yeah. and we'll make this stuff. 
um, at a time when Adidas and Puma were ignoring it. One of the other mistakes that both Adidas and Puma made was that they were so focused on beating one another, they just completely dropped the ball, as it were, on the rise of Nike. Yeah. And Nike was able to take over, and apparently right out of the gate, and since then, Nike's always been the leader in sports apparel. Yeah, and Adidas is two and Puma's three, right? Yeah. Amazing. So you have an option these days. You can buy your sports apparel from a company that's been known to use child labor uh-huh. or a company that used forced French labor under the auspices of the Nazi party in World War II. Hooray. Let's take a break. Yeah, we'll take a break and we'll talk about how this rift uh, still oddly carries over in that town today and run DMC. All right, so back in the day when they first split off this company mm-hmm. and that river's running through this town, mm-hmm. It was a really big deal. Uh, it wasn't just a sibling rivalry. It, it became a town-wide rivalry yeah. in that you you worked for one company or the other as a family. Like yeah. uh, husband and wife didn't work. They didn't split up, and one worked at Puma and one worked at Adidas. And Plus, I mean, if you fell in love with somebody from a family across the river, like you, that was sorry. It's, yeah. You got a Romeo and Juliet thing going on that ain't going to work Isn't out. is crazy? It is. And I, I was glad that one, this, one of the local historians who was interviewed for one of these articles said it wasn't like bloody or anything, like sure. no one lost their lives over this. It was just, you know, if you worked for Puma, you stayed on the Puma side of the river. If you worked for Adidas, you stayed on the Adidas side of the river. And each each group kept to themselves. That was all. Yeah. And it still carries over to this day. Um, some of those recent interviews that we both read. I mean, it's certainly now it's a little more good natured ribbing. Mm-hmm. But they say when you walk around this town, uh, walk through a playground, and you see will you will see kids kitted out in all Adidas or all Puma, right. and this is carried down from generations where they were Adidas or Puma families, and it was it was a really big deal, and still remains so to this day. Such that the the mayor who actually came from a Puma family, oh yeah, but to be mayor, you can't you know you got to be a politician, sure. So he will wear. To some events, casual events, Puma gear, and sometimes Adidas gear. Uh, eventually, in 2009, they had a friendly soccer match between the the official Puma sponsor team and Adidas team, and he wore one Puma shoe and one Adidas shoe mm-hmm. just to remain neutral, I guess. And to look like a total jackass. <laughs> Probably so. Then it showed him rubbing like his Puma, his Adidas foot later on. They called him on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so this was, the, the, like you said, there was a, a soccer game that was played between Adidas and Puma, kind of a reconciliation thing on um, International Peace Day back in, I think, 2009. Yeah. Um, that happened, think about this. The the, Ru, the uh, Rudy and Adi Dossler died in the 70s within four years of each other. This was 2009 before the companies finally kind of had this um, reconciliation game. Yeah. And yeah, today still, it's like you kind of, well, you'll gently, you know, make fun of somebody wearing Adidas if you're a Puma family or whatever. But while the brothers were alive, 
it, you just steered clear of everybody who was on the on the other side. So much so that Herzog was known as the town of the lowered gaze, because if you came upon somebody on the street, you would look at their shoes to see what shoes they were wearing before you decided whether you're going to talk Isn't to them. That's so funny. It was that it was that established. This bro, these brothers' hatred and rivalry of one another. They didn't speak for decades. Um, spread out into the town that was divided by this river, and the town itself took sides because of this rift between these brothers that all started, supposedly, in this uh, bomb shelter during World War II. Yeah, and the the mayor hacker, his his first name is German. Could that be right? Uh, German, maybe the, the German, or maybe the Ger- journalist, German. the German, or the journalist is really lazy and didn't. <laughs> they were just like, it's a he's a German. We're just going to call him that. I wonder if it, he pronounces it German. That's what I would or, say. Or Hermann, because they don't say Germany over there anyway. But do, yeah, they say Deutschland. Yeah, but but would would it be Hermann? Or no, I guess they spell the Hermans with an H. Yeah, I think it would be Mayor German Haka. Right. Oh yeah, there is an H. German Haki Saka. <laughs> Who's so on dumb. grass? Uh, but he says, uh, if someone if someone comes in through the door to this day, your gaze still wanders to their shoes. It's just in the DNA of those people mm-hmm. that this athletic gear <laughs> is so important. It's so strange. It's such a cool, cool, weird story. It is a great story um, of sibling rivalry and bitterness and hatred. Uh, and like you said, they didn't speak for decades. Apparently. Um, much later in life, there were a couple of times when they were rumored to have spoken. Uh, once, I think they ran e- into each other at an airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they saw each other at a hotel. Uh, and I believe on the deathbed, which one tried to get in touch with the other? Rudy. Rudy dying. put out the call, said, I would like to see my brother Adi one more time. And Adi went, no thanks. <laughs> I'm good. Nine. Can you believe it? Yeah, man, that's that's tough. So they died. The family sold the um, the business in the 80s, late 80s, and they got um, bought by, um, like, corporate conglomerates. Sure. Ironically, Puma now owns Reebok, and Gucci owns Puma. <laughs> uh, Adidas is still just Adidas, but again, it's it's owned by, like, a mega conglomerate. Right. Um, and they've, they've just gone enormous and make billions of dollars a year. So the families aren't necessarily involved, but one family member still works in the business. His name is Frank Dossler. I believe he was Rudy's grandson. And he used to work at Puma. He was pretty high up in Puma. Yeah. Now he works as the head of the legal department for Adidas. Man. Talk so that's about a, switching sides. It's, it's a pretty good indication of how how much the, this Cold War is kind of thawed between the two companies quite a bit because the people who are running it have no skin in the game. They don't they don't care anymore, you know. Yeah, or he's an attorney and he was just after the most money. <laughs> right. He's like, let me suck your blood. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a fun little postscript on this. Uh, I know we've been talking about Run DMC, mm-hmm. uh, and again, you youngins, it might be second nature now to associate athletic gear and uh, hip-hop and rap music and culture. But back in the early 1980s, that was not the case uh, until no. Run DMC came along. No, like uh, your your rappers probably dressed like a Ghanan king. Yeah. Um, or maybe like uh, the New York Dolls. Yeah, or just like, I mean, uh, sometimes I feel like I've seen just like denim jackets and just sort of like 
just sort of streetwear, which is the <laughs> unhippest thing I've ever said. It was pretty unhip. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but I'm glad streetwear. So uh, you know, play clothes. <laughs> so Run DMC changed everything when they released a single called My Adidas. Yeah. And I saw elsewhere that they released a single, My Adidas, kind of in retaliation to a My song. <laughs> a song called Felon Shoes. Hmm. So have you ever noticed that um, Run DMC wore their Adidas without laces with the tongues popped out? Oh, I noticed. That was supposedly because that's how people in prison had to wear yeah. their shoes because they weren't allowed to have shoelaces. And they were kind of saying, like, we're down with all of our buddies in prison. Interesting. So this song Felon Shoes basically was making fun of that and basically teaching kids not to not to emulate prisoners and uh Run DMC took issue with that and they ended up releasing My Adidas the song on Raising Hell in 1986 sorry Raising Hell yes which I remember my family was on a, a bus to Disney World once I think and oh, the man. the windows were foggy <laughs> and I was so into Run DMC I just wrote Raising Hell in the fog on the window. Dude. People on the bus thought that was really hilarious. That is a great story. So um, I was into my Adidas too because of Run DMC, but it wasn't just me. Apparently, if you went to a Run DMC show on the Raisin Hell tour or the Together Forever tour in 1986 or 87, when they sang my Adidas, everybody would take off their shoes and hold their Adidas in the air. Yeah. That's how that's how big of an impact this song had. Yeah, and in 1986, uh, a senior employee at Adidas named Angelo Anastasio went to that tour at Madison Square Garden, mm -hmm. saw this happen with the Adidas sneakers, and was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Wait just a second. We could have something here. Mm -hmm. Ran back to the headquarters and... Uh, Within just a few days, they signed them to a million-dollar endorsement deal, and that was like a sea change forward for hip-hop groups getting money in all sorts of ways. Yeah, and apparently it made Adidas's sales just go through the roof. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like that began the marriage of like, I'm going to put out a record. I'm going to get a shoe deal. Uh, I might uh, get a... A vodka sponsor, like, oh yeah, I'll get money flowing in from all kinds of directions, and Run DMC started it all. A vodka sponsor, that's hilarious. Sure, I feel like I've seen that. No, oh yeah, you no, know, you totally have. Like P, P Diddy and Ciroc vodka, I think. Yeah, uh, look, it works. I associate P Diddy and Ciroc vodka. Andrew's nodding. That means um, you're correct. Awesome, thanks, Andrew. Jerry would have been like, "What? I'm my miso's getting cold." <laughs> right? Can you guys hurry up? Uh, we will hurry up, Ghost of Jerry. Uh, if you want to know anything else about Adidas and Puma, we'll just go start reading up more. There's actually a book by a woman named Barbara Smith called Sneaker Wars, appropriately, um, all about the rift between Adidas and Puma. So if you want to know more about it, that's a pretty good place to start. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. Yeah, I'm going to call this uh, uh, Sponges. Okay. Hey guys, I was listening to Pando, and I was excited y'all mentioned glass sponges, which are thought to be the oldest animals on Earth. I am a PhD student at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego, and I study marine sponges because they make all sorts of unique molecules that can be used as new medicines. I think sponges are the coolest animals on Earth, and I'd love to share some of my favorite sponge fun facts. You ready? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Uh, not only are sponges thought to be the oldest living uh single living animals on earth but some 
evolutionary biologists even think sponges were the first animals to ever evolve. In other words, our last common animal ancestor could very well have been a sponge. That's so cool. Uh, did you know the first antiviral drug approved by the FDA was developed from a molecule in a sea sponge? I didn't until just now. As a Ph.D. student, I collect and study sponges because they are known to produce thousands of bioactive molecules, many of which have med- uh, medicinal potential. I think it's pretty incredible that the ocean may hold the cure to some of the most devastating human diseases, and I hope my work might inspire people to protect the world's oceans and the valuable resources within them. That's awesome. Heck yeah. Thanks for all the hard work you guys put into the show. Y'all have kept me company on many a long night in the lab with my sponges. That's awesome. It makes me want to go chew on a sponge and see what happens. That's right. That's from uh, Kayla Wilson from Hmm. San Diego. Thanks a lot, Kayla. Thanks for the work you're doing, too. Thank you for saving humanity from grave diseases. Yeah, we'll look into these sponges, as you call them. (laughs) If you uh, want us to look into anything that we put in scare quotes, well, we want to know about it. You can go on to our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Follow us on our social links there. You can get in touch with us. You can also send us a good old-fashioned email. Wrap it up, spank that thing on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 